For most millionaires, the amassing of money eventually becomes a game. They no longer work because they need the income, but because they love competition. They enjoy pitting their skills against the business world. This instinct to compete appears to be inborn in most of us, otherwise the world will not enjoy games, and therein lies a very strong, as well as very dangerous, basis for motivating people. Sales organizations use the technique constantly with contests that hold out a new car or a vacation trip or a prestige award at the yearly banquet. If one wants to motivate an elementary school to raise money for a new computer, the best way is to run a contest among the classes and keep the race as close as possible. If the daily totals are prominently displayed so that every teacher and student can see their standing and know that everyone else is looking at them too, the enthusiasm can be built a feverish pitch. The amount of the price is not nearly so important as the thrill of competing. Charles Schwab, who supervised all of Andrew Carnegie's steel mills, had a mill manager whose men were not producing their quota of work. I've coached the men, I've pushed them, I've threatened them with damnation being fired, the manager told Schwab. But nothing works. They just won't produce. It was the end of the day, just as the day shift was leaving and the night shift was coming on. Give me a piece of chalk, Schwab said. Then, turning to the nearest man, he asked, How many heats did your shift make today? Six. Without another word, Schwab chalked a big figure six on the floor and walked away. When the night shift came in, they saw the six and asked what it meant. The big boss wasn't here today, the day man said, and he chalked on the floor the number of heats we made. The next morning, Schwab walked through the mill again. The night shift had rubbed out six and replaced it with a big seven. When the day shift reported for work the next morning, they saw the big seven chalked on the floor. So the night shift thought they were better than the day shift, did they? Well, they would show them a thing or two. The men pitched in with enthusiasm and when they quit that night, they left behind them an enormous, swaggering ten. Things were stepping up. Shortly, this mill, which had been lagging way behind in production, was turning out more work than any other mill in the industry. And what was the principle? Here is Schwab's description of it. The way to get things done is to stimulate competition. I do not mean in a sordid money-getting way, but in the desire to excel. The idealists will try to tell us that when we get people to compete against each other, we are using a form of manipulation and that the aggressive instinct should be discouraged rather than encouraged. As we shall see later, anger-fueled aggression can indeed be dangerous, but the fact of the matter is that we are all competitive by nature, and such an impulse can help people achieve things they would never accomplish otherwise. Athletics provide a good example. Every runner, every swimmer, every football player knows that he or she performs best when pitted against others. It is the comparison, the desire to excel and to win that pushes them on. School rivalries, neck and neck competition with another company, lists of the 10 best employees, these are all powerful stimulants. So rule number nine for bringing out the best in people is this, appeal sparingly to the competitive urge.
I say sparingly because competition has only limited usefulness. If factory workers are pitted against each other excessively, they will feel manipulated and they will resent it. Moreover, if too much aggression is unleashed among employees or students, they begin to stab each other in the back. At highly competitive schools, students will even steal essential books from the reserve shelf to prevent others from succeeding. These excesses, however, do not prove the value of healthy competition, and they should not deter us from using comparisons to stimulate strong effort.